0: Hi there, it's Phil. Dr. Julie Andrews is a proud Yorta Yorta and Wurundjeri Woiwaring descendant who's based in Melbourne. We've been having a terrific conversation over the past couple of episodes of this special series about all sorts of understandings about Australia, our society, the sense of the other and the fringe about aboriginality, about indigenous education, education more broadly. We've got an opportunity now to talk specifically about the work that Julie is doing at La Trobe University as the Convener of Aboriginal Studies and all of her research interests. I can't wait for it. Let's go. Julie, thanks for joining me again. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you for last time too, letting me share a little bit of my story in the process too, because you know it's, it's, it's nice to be able to, to yarn together. Um, Julie, why don't you tell us a little bit about your academic career, because it's a really interesting one.
1: Okay, um, usually I start from the beginning where I became a student. So I was a mature age student when I enrolled at La Trobe and I tried to, to enroll at other institutions or universities here in Melbourne and I was unsuccessful. I don't know why, I had year 12, um, not many other people did, but um, you know, someone was helping me at the time, uh, my mother's uh, friend, who was very proactive around aboriginal rights and he he just said to me one day you shouldn't be you know working in the government you should be working for yourself and you know studying you know moving on and you know you should be going to uni and I went oh i don't know about that anyway so he started writing Enrollment applications for me. Um, show me. And my mum was like sitting at the table and saying, yeah, you should do it. My grandmother was there and she goes, that'd be wonderful. So, you know, one big um, university said no, but La Trobe said yes. So, you know, I've been at La Trobe as a student and staff member over 30 years now. I guess I stayed at La Trobe because... I grew up in the Melbourne, Northern suburbs, you know, and La Trobe is the university that services that area. So it kind of like became part of me because I was like, so used to being in the Northern suburbs. But not only that, La Trobe had this very um, spacious, bushy campus and they let us do what we wanted as students. So we became very active students and, you know, we got to work, rolled our sleeves up and started advocating for, you know, more resources on campuses and room to have our own space and the stu- non-Aboriginal students were helping us and we set up the Koori and Gabba club. And Koori means Aboriginal and Gabba means white fella. So we combined as black and white students and called ourselves the Koori and Gabba club and we activated did a lot of things as student as a student group, like right? we published a magazine and went out and did stories on all the Aboriginal community and got their photos and produced a ninety one page or ninety three page magazine on the Aboriginal community all across Victoria. you know it was such a fantastic time
0: Julie, I, mean, I, 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 I had to break the strand of your narrative, but i 'm really just interested. Just, just for a moment, if we can go sideways around this. Um, why is it important to encourage students to be active, to be activists? What, 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 what's important about activism?
1: What's important about activism is that it's a, it's a ladder to actually becoming a leader. So you, you're showing leadership inside an institution as big as a university and you're able to apply yourself as an Aboriginal person and bring to the forefront the cultural values of your family and your community, but also um, support each other. So, you know, now there's a lot of Aboriginal student support people. So there, you can be active today, but you can also be a student and have that just that luxury of studying. Fantastic. So
0: so I interrupted you. So we were talking about your, your life as a, as a mature age student and uh, your involvement in activism. Would you like to pick up the story from there?
1: Yeah. So I moved on to working for the university and um, running the, you know, the units for them around student academic support for Aboriginal students and policy and so forth. But I kept up with my own studies. So I... Then you know like I graduated with a degree in archaeology and sociology and then I went on to do honours in anthropology and then I kind of like was encouraged to enrol into a PhD when as a because I was a staff member and once I did that um, I actually moved over to teaching in the school of social sciences and um I've been there ever since. So I graduated with a PhD and now I'm convener of Aboriginal studies and I teach several Aboriginal studies subjects and I now do research. So my students come from, well, I teach to a range of campuses of La Trobe, the university. So I teach to Shepparton, Orby-Wodonga, Mildura, Bendigo, as well as Melbourne, Bundura
0: so for our for our for our listeners outside of australia those are all significant regional centers in rural victoria so outside of the main city of, of of melbourne plus the melbourne campus itself so there's a whole satellite sort of hub of educational influence that's there julie i just i just wonder for those who don't know what actually is aboriginal studies
1: good question uh, because, you know, Aboriginal studies is a multi-discipline study area. So we, we have... I have students from social work, legal studies, anthropology, sociology, gender studies, archaeology, teaching. And um, this is all because they need that Indigenous content behind their thinking and learning. So, you know, like this semester I've got close to 250 students. And that's across all across Victoria and, um, you know, Northern Victoria. So Aboriginal studies can give students the tools to explore topics of Aboriginal Australia within the classroom in a non-threatening way. But we also look at increasing our Aboriginal students who um, are in dire need of having the access to higher education learning to secure a, f- a better future for their families. Empowering the Aboriginal student is just as important as, as educating the non-Aboriginal student. So we, we have have that kind of approach and focus when we enter the classroom.
0: What, what are the structures, Julie, that help to empower an Indigenous student? to progress through university, get the qualification and then move on? Because it's, you you know, you've got to make it through. Do you know what I mean? So to to achieve the social mobility um, and then to be able to feed back into your community. What do you need to succeed as an Indigenous student in a tertiary environment?
1: Well, what the government expects is for Aboriginal um, tertiary is participation, retention and success. So that means enrol keep them there and graduate them. How do you do that? Curriculum and um, individual support. That's the, the very crucial role that the Aboriginal student support units, the Indigenous education support units play. Within and, why is, and
0: why is curriculum so important in this particular context?
1: Well, it gives the Aboriginal student familiar, you know, they're familiar with the topics. It empowers them with confidence. If they're talking about things they already know. So, if we're talking about mature age Aboriginal students coming with life skills, they've got, you know, that's, that's different, you know, that's, that gives them, um, you know, confidence. But if we're talking about students that are coming from a mainstream curriculum that had hardly any Indigenous content, um, but they're coming to university and they're, they're the first in their family. There's, a, a, you know, a bit of fear and, you know, around, you know, oh, the uncertainty of going to university. What's it mean for me? So empowering them with Aboriginal studies gives them that confidence to draw from their own cultural upbringing.
0: So, so my, my, my partner in crime in Game Changers, Adriana De Prato, who you know well, um, he, he's very strong on the notion of moving from engagement to empowerment. So a lot of what you're talking there, I, I can see how curriculum c- creates relevance and it creates identity and it creates interest, which engages. How do we then empower?
1: Well, you need the tools, okay? So you're giving them the tools to write their essays. So the, it's their stories. It's their their way of um, being encouraged to reflect and use their own cultural upbringing and know that it's going to mean something, you know, that it's not excluded. It's actually one of the things now that we are needing, um, that, the, you know, higher education values is narratives and stories. Social work need that kind of, you know, Indigenous experience around being a drug user or, or an incarcerated person and so forth so um, it's it's that kind of way to let their let them know that what they can bring into uh, their education is just as a, as relevant as coming out with the science you know good good um bce score
0: so 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 what i'm what i'm hearing here is a story about education which is personalized to the to the student it's aligned to government expectations It's a fully integrated experience. What we're actually talking about here is an example of exactly the sort of 21st century education that everybody all all over the world is trying to achieve at the moment. Mm. So it's, you know, it's again, if I go back to the, the, the earlier episodes of our conversation, this is about understanding that there is a pathway to success here, which is being created from within Aboriginal culture and from within Aboriginal scholarship.
1: Exactly, and one of the subjects I teach is on country. So I take students with me to uh, Yorta Yorta country, and I bring the elders. and We it's an immersion program where we visit all the Aboriginal organisations, and the students get to hear all why these organisations exist, Um, and they get a real understanding how um, cultural continuity has you know is empowering the Aboriginal community. To continue on and develop, but also the way they use their language, their history, this, their, their family kinship structure, um, everything about community development um, is all part of the holistic approach when looking at an Aboriginal community and the way it functions and works. So the on country subject empowers, you know, well, I take the students on country as well, where we go and visit Kamra Gunja, Aboriginal Reserve they get to see how remote Aboriginal Gunja Reserve is. A lot of people think living remote is living in the Kimberley or, or, you know, those Arnhem Land and things like that. But you can be Aboriginal community and live remote as well. And I think we saw that with the bushfires here in Victoria, how remote those country towns are. Mm. So if you're an Aboriginal community and you're struggling to deliver health care, and when I talk about healthcare, I'm talking about, you know, kidney, renal dialysis, heart conditions, diabetes, all that kind of stuff, the remoteness of getting the patient to healthcare and how that, you know, is played out. And a lot of that healthcare here is here in Melbourne. So it's getting the student to understand, break down that way of understanding how, what an Aboriginal um, community is and how it works and how imperative it is. And a lot of the students come away and they say, I didn't know this.
0: So, so you're, 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 a, you're a pretty cluey educator. Why is immersion learning so important?
1: Because it's, you know, I call it learning outside the classroom. It's the bush classroom that really makes the impact on the student. I talk about parallel systems of knowledge how Aboriginal knowledge is excluded from the curriculum. So when we go on country learning, they can see the parallels, you know, that the curriculum is not just embedding the Aboriginal knowledge inside the curriculum, whereas the Aboriginal knowledge is actually the same, but it's taught differently. And a lot of my students come away saying, I learnt more in this one week and it is only one week. I learnt more in this one week than I've done in my degree. And that's because it was made clearer to them, it was actually taught to them firsthand and everything was connected. And that's how we work as a community. It's a holistic approach. You have to understand how the community works, how the Aboriginal um, individual works and the family kinship, the way the history is, how they even handle conflict. You know, the secrets, the gossip, all that kind of stuff. You know, not every Aboriginal person will stand up there and teach, you know. So when I do my teaching, I bring my Aboriginal community with me and I'm teaching them. And that's what I do all the time. I teach the community to teach. And then when I do my research, I actually employ, well, I don't employ it. I teach the Aboriginal research assistants and they are my assistants, you know? And that way, they can go off and be involved in other research. So it's like, you know, a flow-on, rippling effect that's going to benefit the community.
0: And that's, that's what we would call that character apprenticeship. That's a very, very clear methodological approach. I'm just, I'm just wondering, how did you learn to teach?
1: My family. I wasn't taught to teach. The university never taught me anything about teaching. They just plonked me there because I was teaching cultural awareness at the time to non-Aboriginal staff, you know, and that included admin and academic staff. And I was just an admin person running the Koori unit. And they said, oh, you get the most highest results for your teaching. So we think you should be in, you know, as an academic. And I I didn't add an eyelid because I was like doing my own research. I mean, I was studying. I, I just thought, oh, all right, okay, that might be in that next step for this. And I, I actually listened to that, um, the uh, non-Aboriginal experience of the benefits of my teaching. I thought, yeah, that might be all right. Maybe I'll do that. But I've never thought it's just going to be that. I'll be bringing the Aboriginal stuff with me. And um, that's, you know, and my my family have taught me and my community I watch and being a part of my community, that just gives me the confidence and the support that I need to teach.
0: Absolutely, it's critical that that importance of family, it all comes back to family in the end, I think. I wanna switch tack for a moment and I wanna talk about the, the, the sort of high-end academic program. Where is the scholarship in Aboriginal studies heading at the moment?
1: Well, we are looking at decolonizing the curriculum We are looking at ways to do that at La Trobe University. One of the things that I would say is, the program of Aboriginal Studies, as I have run it over the last 10 years, has been decolonising the curriculum. My subject was one of the first on-country subjects where we taught on-country for an Aboriginal subject that's actually part of a degree. I did have students say, is this a real subject? You know, and I said, yes, it is a real subject and it's registered under the university for credit points and everything. So now that respect is so entrenched with the students of La Trobe University. They come, it's an um, elective, so it's not compulsory and they pay. And I've heard other people say, you're kidding. People, you know, the students, that is so, such a unique thing, you know, that students are coming to pay. For that you know, so that's that's really good. So that's part of Aboriginal Studies. I mean, the the research part um, of Aboriginal Studies is it's extensive because it is a multidisciplinary subject, and we have so many other students from other areas that we are able to um, help those students get a good education, understanding in the classroom, so they can you know if they're becoming an archaeologist, archeolo- they have that the community understanding, kinship and cultural understanding of communities and how to manage themselves around communities. Now, that's one of the things, the benefits of the on-country learning is that we're actually teaching those students how to manage themselves in an Aboriginal community setting and talk to Elders and and community, and to engage with very sensitive topics and be able to talk. A lot of the students don't have, have never met an Aboriginal person. They've never been inside a community. So, you know, this is where the scholarship of Aboriginal studies is advancing and very important for a university. the Trobe University sees
0: that. Oh, it sounds like a fabulous program. Um, uh, there's a couple of things that come out of this. Um, uh, I want to pick up on what you were just talking about. It would be my observation that There is a generation of students who are coming through who want to be involved, who want to do something, and they want to be supportive. And they don't know how to express an agency that is appropriate. They don't want to come in and take over. They don't want to colonise. They don't want to recolonise a space that's being decolonised. What advice do you have for non Aboriginal students, non Aboriginal people? Who, who want to get in there and do something without just taking over again?
1: Well, they can't take over again because all these <laughs> Aboriginal communities have their own infrastructure and frameworks now. So a lot of these communities are involved with research and you have to get permission to go and do anything with communities now. They have board of directors that you have to, you know, get, you know, access to and, it's like, you know, it's not an open place where you can just walk into. They're, they're, you know, they're registered corporations and things like that. And if you're working, wanting to work in an Aboriginal health service, you know, there's all different ways you have to be, you know, introduced. It's, it's they're like real jobs. So it's it's not something that is up for anyone to just walk into. So. Um, with Aboriginal studies just getting back to my research and for example we are currently working with the Jar, Jar Rung Council which is near Bendigo in Victoria so it's, it's a country town but we're working with that Aboriginal organization and we you know it's a combined research project of botanists zoologists as well as archaeologists and Aboriginal studies which is me I'm an anthropologist as well as you know, I've got a um, you know multidisciplinary background, so we're working with the Aboriginal Council, who the what and the research project is fire burning knowledge of the women, and the women's knowledge of uh, land management practice and uh, around particular lily plants, and this kind of thing. And from that, they you know we just finished. Interviewing for PhD students to um, be involved, so to do the research and work with the women on that. But the whole focus is on empowering the fire knowledge of of, and land management and um, highlighting the women's knowledge, that kind of thing. So that's that's very uh, that's an exciting project that you know is one of the things that is now coming out and you know, with Aboriginal study partnerships and the university, you know, research areas with Aboriginal communities.
0: Julie, can I talk for a moment about partnerships? Because you you allude there to the importance of partnership between tertiary institutions and communities. What about community partnerships and corporate partnerships more generally?
1: Yeah, that, well, that's a different area, but there's certainly a lot of partnerships with city councils, shire councils, but also like big corporate organisations that um, have a connection to Aboriginal social justice issues, law firms, um, even like, you know, Crown Casino here, you know, have an in- Aboriginal employment strategy. So a lot of those kind of partnerships are around areas that are relevant to the business of that.
0: So, so if, we, if, if, if we have a listener who's a chalky, a teacher in a school, and there's not a significant sense of engagement with the local Aboriginal community or Aboriginal studies, and you've got a teacher who feels as though there should be, what are the steps that they can take to help build the sorts of partnerships that are going to do the sorts of things that we would want to be done?
1: Well, firstly, they should look at um, the legislations around Aboriginal education that are relevant to their state or territory, because a lot of the the governments have specific Aboriginal areas there and they have legislation. um, And then they can become informed about what it is they can and can't do at their school level. Um, Then they can look at the local history of Aboriginal people and through that could either be by looking up if there's an Aboriginal organisation or Aboriginal elders or looking up who are the traditional owners and things like that and get in touch with them. The other alternative way is that you can approach your local city council offices as well. Um, But elders are always approachable to come and do smoking ceremonies um, and talk to the kids. So, I mean, that's one of the, the major things about teaching, um, is to inform and educate, but make it fun, you know? So if you're an art teacher, look at who are the local Aboriginal artists, you know? If you're a music teacher, look at who are the local musicians. Talk about who, you know, give them an overview of the Stolen Generations and who, what are the success stories? from the, the stolen generation or what are success stories of Aboriginal people? You know, the kids always like that and they love culture. So, you know, um, what Aboriginal dancers are around in that area? Um, yeah.
0: so, so, so what I'm hearing here is that you've got to, if you, if you're interested to do this sort of stuff, you've got to take an initial passion you might have and you've got to do your homework, don't you? You've got to Absolutely. think about it carefully and you've got, and, 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 a starting point is you've got to go and ask, you know, you've got, you've got to go and find the right people, particularly, um, the, the local indigenous community and ask and listen and, and learn in that way and then work your way into it. I think that sounds really important. There's, there's one last thing I, I, I kind of want to pick up. And again, it, it relates to something that we were talking about in one of the earlier episodes where we talked about that challenge of year nine, Year nine is always a challenge. It's a challenge all over the world. Year nine is a challenge. Although it may well be that year eight is now the challenge that once was year nine because kids seem to be maturing uh, just that little bit faster these days. When we take something like Aboriginal studies, and I'll call it Aboriginal studies, when we take something like Aboriginal studies to a group of 14-year-olds or 15-year-olds, frequently we will hear, but I've done that. I've already done it. Why do I need to do it again? How do we help teachers to engage students at that age group when their adult personalities and their adult identities are in such a formative stage to understand and here's where we need to go to next?
1: That's a good question. And I have those issues too with my own kids because it's, you know, I can't solve the curriculum (laughs) problems. that I had no, I've got no responsibility for. You know, I think there needs to be learning outside the classroom and I think there's, you know, um, proof around agricultural schools, you know, um, that take the kids and have animals and, you know, horticultural kind of subject areas where they can, you know, move out of the classroom. I think kids need a choice, you know, breaking them up into... Their interest areas that would only work. I think um, keeping them corralled in the classroom and you know trying to get them to you know produce something by a certain time might not suit everyone. Um, but there's different ways of teaching, and that's what the schools should do. I mean, I'm just um, I've just received um, some interesting teaching tools from my niece, who's very. Um, involved with her mother teaching the Yorta Yorta language and they're doing it in different ways. So I've got playing cards in the language, Aboriginal language, which matches it to colour and animals and things, the words. So, you know, um, they're for all age groups. So I, I just wonder, you know, for me, I was hopeless at maths, you know but you give me the life skills around managing a budget, I'm fine with that, you know? Um, So I, I guess it's just that labeling of what the expectation is for each subject topic area for the student and how that's going to play out, you know? How do we measure success in those kind of study areas? Because it's all, you know, it's a hit and miss for each person and student, I imagine.
0: Yeah, Julie, I don't believe for one moment that you don't know how to solve that curriculum problem. I think you just explained how to do it very, very well. I mean, you're talking about experiential learning. You're talking about practical hands-on learning. You're talking about what Leslie Medema, one of, another one of our game changers, would talk about learning without walls. You're talking about pro- promoting choice and agency. I, I'm going to bring this conversation to a close if I can, um, but I, I, you know, it's, 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 been, it's been an absolute delight um, getting to share some time with you and, and learning about you not only as, as an Aboriginal woman, not only as a scholar, not only as an educational administrator and leader, but just a really good teacher as well. It's, it's been an absolute privilege, Julia. I do hope we get a chance to talk again soon.
1: Thank you very much, Phil.
0: Really appreciate it. Thank you. The Game Changers podcast is produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and supported by Circle, the Centre for Innovation, Research, Creativity and Leadership in Education. Go to www.circle.education. The podcast is hosted on SoundCloud. It's distributed through Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe and tell your friends you like what you're hearing.